Good afternoon, City Bible Church. Um, it's so great to see you guys here in this afternoon. So many of us were just having a great party last night at uh, Earl and Nicole's wedding. I was just talking with uh, my kids on the ride over here this afternoon, having had a little less than 24 hours to think about it. Um, I've been to a lot of weddings. Um, it's, it's hard to put another wedding above your own, uh, so I won't do that. But after my own, that wedding we went to yesterday in that gorgeous amphitheater, I, I, you know, I was co-officiating the ceremony and, you know, you get a unique view because you're actually the only ones looking outwards, you know, at that view. And to see Earl and Nicole worshiping the Lord during that time, it was fabulous. And just to see the emotion there and then going to that amazing reception I think that's the best wedding food I've ever had. And um, the dancing, the fun, um, I think that that's probably the best wedding and reception I've been to outside of my own. Uh, I just think it was fun. Not to put anyone else's wedding and reception down, okay? But uh, I just th- thought it was extraordinary. So great, great to be here and, and to have seen that. It's good to see Howard and Anna here. Glad you guys are here to join us again. And... I don't know if you saw this, but I went into the kitchen, and we have a feast waiting for us. Now, all community meals are great, but the meal that these guys have cooked up right here is truly something special. And I can speak to that because uh, myself and my family and, um, and several of you uh, at other times have gone over to Bob and Jing's house and had everyone cook for us, and so it's phenomenal. You got a real treat coming on that one. Today we're continuing on in our series, Joy, in the Epistle of Philippians, and um, we're going to be looking at the topic of experiencing God's peace when we focus on the things that are right in God's eyes, and we imitate others who are thinking about the things that are right in God's eyes. And so we're going to focus on that. It's just two verses today from Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. I think we have that. We'll go ahead and pull that up. Let's stand together and just read these short two verses. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9 is our next passage in our series. And Paul said this. Verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Whatever you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray together. Father, that... That is our prayer here this afternoon, that the God of peace, that the peace of God would guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In a world that often uh, does not have that and seeks to bring that out of us, the peace of God out of us, uh, we are here this afternoon because we know that peace is only found through uh, knowing you, through your son, Christ Jesus. We know that uh, the peace that we need to um, not just survive this age, but to, to be fruitful and to be faithful in this age comes from thinking on the things that are right in your eyes, Lord, and being around people who do the same. 
So I pray you to remind us of the importance of that. You renew our minds to, um, to live that out, to experience that in our own lives, Lord. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Thank you. <coughs> so this sermon is really the, um, the flip side to the sermon that we had last week. Uh, you remember Pastor Mike preached last week on the previous verses, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7. And in those passages, Paul talks about not being anxious because knowing that the Lord is with you. And so we are to take our anxiety to lift it up to the Lord, to pray in all forms of prayers. And Paul says last week and through Pastor Mike that uh, the, peace, uh, the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So that is uh, one side of dealing with our anxious times is to know that the Lord is with you and that you can pray to him and his peace will guard your hearts and minds. This, is, this sermon is the flip side to last week. It's the same coin, but it's the other side of the coin, which is it's not just enough to pray uh, for God's peace. You also have to think on the right things that bring God's peace. You have to put that into practice. And you have to be around people who are doing the same thing. It's not enough just to simply pray, to pray for God's peace. You have to take action. That's what today is about. You have to uh, think about the things of God. You have to be around the people who are like that. And obviously taking prayer is action as well. Uh, but we're going to focus on the things about thinking about the things that bring us peace in God. Paul, who wrote this, had a lot of reasons to not have peace. He had a lot of reasons. So as he's writing these verses to the Philippian church, to experience extreme anxiety. Now remember, as Paul is writing to the Philippian church, what is happening during this time? Uh, Philippians is part of what is called the prison epistles. Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon. These are all epistles that Paul wrote while he's under house arrest at Rome. He's chained to a series of Roman guards by a foot and a half chain. There for about two years, yes, he could have visitors, he could send letters out, but he's basically confined during that time. And uh, this was his first of two prison, uh, uh, being in prison in Rome. This one he was actually released from for a couple years, and then he went to prison again a couple years later, and he's actually, uh, that was his, the end of him where he was beheaded, tradition tells us. But this is his first Roman imprisonment, and he's under house arrest for two years. That's a source of anxiety. Um, he's writing to the Philippian church. This was a church that he had founded in Acts chapter 16, led people to Christ, did ministry there, visited there three, maybe four times during his entire ministry. And Paul knows from earlier on in Philippians that the Philippian church is facing many challenges. They are facing opponents, unbelievers that are coming against the gospel at Philippi. That would have been a source of Paul's anxiety. He cares about them. He knows that there are opponents coming against the church. We also know from Philippians 1 that there were also others that were true believers, but they were also preaching the gospel out of selfish ambition and motives. That would have been another source of anxiety for Paul as he writes this. We know that Paul uh, knew the church well enough to know that there was the beginnings of disunity at this church. It says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, there were two women, Iodia and, and Syntyche, who were two women who were arguing, and they were kind of sowing the seeds of initial disunity in the church. That would have been a source of anxiety for Paul. 
And we also know from Philippians chapter 3 that the Apostle Paul was concerned that the Philippian church would be influenced by false teachers, Judaizers, that were preaching a false works-based gospel. All of these reasons were reasons for Paul to have great anxiety, whether it's his own circumstance, or he's worried about the church, worried about the gospel, and yet, and yet Paul is writing to the Philippian church. He's saying, think about the things that are true, honorable, just, love, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, anything worthy of praise. And he's also modeling that for them as well. And so for today, we have a lot to uh, learn from the Apostle Paul. Not only is he modeling uh, how to focus on the right things of God amidst his own anxiety, anxious circumstances, which, to be honest, is worse than any circumstance you're facing right now. None of you are in house arrest for two years. And, um, And all that went with it. And so he's modeling that for the Philippian church, and he's exhorting them. And so we have something to learn from that. Okay, so what I want to do, go and change the slide, thank you. I want us to focus on three words in this sermon. The words think, the word practice, and the word peace. That's the key to these, three, uh, these two verses. Think, practice, and peace. And that's going to provide a framework uh, for us going forward. And so um, let's go to verse 8. In verse 8, Paul says at the end of the verse, think about these things. Think about these things. What is he talking about? He's talking about true, what is noble, what is pure, praiseworthy, etc. Now, Paul knew that the way for spiritual transformation to take place begins in the mind. It begins with what you think. The way that your spirit is changed begins with what you are thinking or believing. It does not begin with how you feel. Feelings are important. Emotions are important. Part of life, part of the Christian faith. However, the the key point of transformation whether you go up or down in your spiritual walk, whether you go into maturity or immaturity, begins in the mind. Remember, the mind is different than the brain. The brain is your, the, the organ that is in your head that uh, you know, keeps you alive. The mind has to do with how you think. And so when Paul is saying, think about these things at the end of verse 8, he is talking not about the brain, but about the mind. Paul knew that spiritual transformation begins in the mind. He wrote to the Roman church in Romans chapter 12. He says, renew your what? Mind. Change the way you think. Renew your mind by focusing on the truth so that you don't conform to the world and that you may find the will of God. Summary. He wrote to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He said, the weapons of our warfare... They're not like physical weapons. The weapons of our warfare are divine in their power, he said, to destroy strongholds. What are those strongholds? He went on to say in that 10th chapter of 2 Corinthians, these strongholds, what he does is he destroys arguments and lofty opinions that are raised against the knowledge of God. Let me say it again. Paul is saying that the way he viewed his ministry was he was doing battle with 
divine powers to destroy strongholds. Not the strongholds of drugs or pornography or etc., but the strongholds of what? Every lofty thought, every argument that Satan and the world wants to put in your mind that exalts itself above Christ for your salvation and sanctification and glorification. And so Paul knew that this begins in the mind. Now, um, there's a proactivity to thinking about the things of God. Why is that important? It's important because um, you have to understand that the default uh, spiritual position of your soul is downwards. Let me say that again. The natural position in the natural mind of human beings goes downwards. The natural uh, state in which we live in this world is the world is actually decaying. We may progress like we have better medicine, we have better technology, but the overall spiritual condition is one of decay over time. Jesus taught that in Matthew 13 and teaches that in the book of Revelation. The reason why that's important for you to understand is that there is no neutral gear to the human spirit. Doing nothing with your spiritual walk means that you are declining. You are either proactively moving forward or you are neutral or choosing to move downwards. There's no other choice. It's either up or down. Um, you know, secular research shows us out, right? I remember Howard sent me a link um, maybe about four or five years ago to some psychological study. And uh, this study basically said this. It's not a Christian study, but it said that, um, that what, they, what these particular researchers had, had found was that our human minds, when they do not have a focus on accomplishing a goal, when the human mind is not, um, is not focused on uh, accomplishing some kind of mission, and it's not goal-focused, the natural disposition of the human mind is that it descends into things that are trivial, into things that are sad, into things that are chaotic, and into things that are worrisome. That's the natural state of the human mind. When there's no goal or mission orientation, it descends. The gravity of our minds is fallen, and so it moves towards that. And that's just secular uh, research uh, on the soft sciences that just goes really to prove what the Bible said all along. And so you and I are in this natural state where that's where our minds tend to go. It tends to go towards the chaotic. tends to go towards the worrisome. And then we live in this world. It's the same thing. Beyond what we personally think, we're now living, what well, we live in an age and a world where it's fallen. That's an additional pull on you. And so in the world, in the age in which we live in, uh, you are basically taught not to focus on the things that are you know, true, honorable, just, etc., the things of God, but you're, the world is teaching you to do what? The exact opposite. You're being taught to think anxious thoughts. You are being taught by the world to become an argumentative person. You are taught by the world today to think the worst of other people, to be constantly pessimistic of other people. You are taught to become a sarcastic person. Not sarcasm, not in terms of just joking around like that, but constantly sarcastic. You are taught to think of the world in conspiracy theories, nonstop conspiracy theories. That is what the world is trying to get you to think about. 
And what type of human being is now the result of all that? When we are not focused in a post-Christian context on the things that are true, honorable, just, pure, etc., in our own minds, and then we're in a world that's getting us to pull in this opposite direction, is it any wonder, then, that we have a society today filled with depressed people, hopeless people, fragile people? And that is the state of our world today, is it not? Our society is filled with depressed Hopeless, fragile people. Now, I'm, not, I'm simplifying it, of course. There's other variables involved. But in general, um, that is the alternative to not thinking and focusing on the things of God. Examples. I'm just going to show you two slides of just things that my own mind has been exposed to over the past month or so. Um, and I want you to just look at this and think, you know, if I was just exposed to what Pastor Chris is about to show me, um, where would my mind go, right? Would I be naturally, is the world leading me to think about the things that are all these, you know, God-focused things, commendable, excellent, etc.? Or if I was just to intake and breathe in what the world is um, teaching me or showing me, my mind goes somewhere else other than God. Okay, so I'm just going to show you two slides here. Um, these are just some headlines that I've read on my own feed. Some of it I wasn't even looking for. Some of it just kind of came up. But Long Beach, in the city I live, uh, I, uh, on my Twitter feed, I, I, um, I follow this thing called Long Beach, or I, actually on Facebook, I follow, I don't really go on Facebook that much anymore, but um, I follow Long Beach um, News, and uh, it's constantly, like every day, it's saying, two people were shot in Long Beach, this person was run over in Long Beach, etc., right? And I'm just reading that in my own city, I was like, man, I don't want to go to that end of town. Um, one of the people I follow on Twitter is Jordan Peterson. He's not a Christian, but he, he tweeted this one tweet. out. I couldn't find it the other day, and it's, he said, uh, you know, he's a Canadian uh, psychologist, and so he's real big about the, the liberalism and the leftist theology and ideology coming out of campuses in our society. And one of the things he tweeted the other day he, is he said, we are sacrificing our children on the altar of leftist ideology. We are sacrificing our children on the altar of leftist ideology. I mean, how can you not read that and not be anxious, right, for those of you that are parents? Another big weekly loss, assessing stocks are cheaper, and and buying the dip is near. Anyone who has a 401k, anyone who has an IRA, anyone who likes to dabble in the stock market and stuff knows that in many sectors, some sectors of the stock market, that over the past six months, in the beginning of 2022 till now, have experienced their worst drop since the Great Depression. That's how bad the stock market has been over the past six months. It's so easy to look at just all these declines financially as you think about the future. And not how can you not be anxious? Inflation is an obvious one. Um, gas, food, etc. We all know what that conversation is like. I mean, how can you not be depressed or, or ho- feel a sense of hopelessness when you look at this? Just a couple more. Um, I saw this, uh, the shooting in Technus, these kids getting, you know, children being blown away. I think, uh, you know, what, 19 or so of them and two teachers in Texas. And then the um, hearings that are going on on the Capitol riots from January 6th. You think our society is completely falling apart when you just look at what you're being exposed to, to think about, right? And then I come to this a second, um, second one. Uh, go ahead and change slide. All right. So, and then what am, what's coming through through my eyes? Well, um, 
I went to an event in Little Tokyo about oh, about a month ago, and um, it was by an art artist named Murakami, and he's uh, like one of the world famous artists out of Japan. He's older; he's probably about sixty or so years old, and uh, he's kind of really become uh, not just recently, but he's really exploded in uh, fame because of his uh, work has been translated into the NFT space, the non fungible token space, which you. You're part of the blockchain crypto conversation. You know exactly what that is. It's not important if you don't. Um, but there's this upper echelon of elite NFTs called CryptoPunks, called Board Ape Yacht Club. Uh, he has this third group that's called Clone X. Those are some examples of some of his Clone Xs. And now I went to this event. There was like 600 of us. Um, I mean, most of them were Gen Zers and Millennials. And so I'm pretending to be in the back. And so we're there, and the guys just worshipped, right? And I'm looking at that picture on the left-hand side, and I'm thinking two things. One is, um, okay, I can see that requires some artistic talent to produce, right? And that's one of, like, maybe, I don't know, a thousand Clonexes. I'm probably getting that number wrong, but it's a lot of them. It takes some artistic talent. But the second thing I'm thinking about is, like, you know what? That is straight-out demonic. There is no other way to describe that than that. But if I'm looking at that, what am I thinking about? Right? What's being exposed to me? Um, Squid Games. You know, it's not a show that I watch, but as you know, um, it's uh, like a Korean um, kind of show that where people compete, they're in debt, they have to make money, and they play these childish games where people get killed. And we were driving down Sunset Boulevard uh, the other day um, out towards the Hollywood area, and there's all these billboards. And I saw this, this, several of these billboards for a movie called Black Phone with Ethan Hawke. And that's a story of just this murderer kidnaps 13-year-olds. And it's just a very dark thing. Now, I'm looking at that and I'm reading these headlines. How can you not think the world is a terrible place? And in many ways it is, right? And so as Christians, um, we, look at, we come back to this verse and we say what in verse 8? Uh, let's change the slide. Think about the things of God. Now, when he says this in verse 8, um, what is he not saying? What is he not saying when he says we are to focus on the things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy? What is he not saying when he says this? He is not saying, when he says, think about these things, he is not saying, well, just uh, ignore evil, ignore suffering. Okay? Not, none of us think about suffering and evil as things that are true and noble. So we don't want to think about, he's not saying, don't think about those things. Okay? We're supposed to recognize that in life. He's not saying that. He's not saying ignore it. He's also not saying, uh, be undiscerning about false teaching. Okay, false teaching is not true and honorable. So that exists. And so he's not saying, well, false teaching is not true or honorable. So just ignore it. Ignore that it's out there. He's not saying that either. And he's also not saying when he says this, um, well, you know, just the things are true and honorable, etc. Well, um, there's no, he's not saying that there's, he, there's a difference, right? There's a difference between what Paul's saying here and what the human potential gurus are out there saying. I mean, you see these feeds, you see these seminars, come to my seminar, pay me money. I will teach you how to think the right way to improve your finances, your relationships, your, your life situation. Um, 
or you you hear these uh these people who teach the law of attraction right this eastern inspired false teaching that says you who you are is how you think and if you want your dreams to be accomplished you just think it into reality you want to be rich just think rich thoughts you want to be famous just think of a goal and the universe will conspire to help you to achieve it paul is not saying that either okay that's a fallen world i've heard false teachers take this verse and rip it out of context and saying, look, here's what Paul, what the Bible is saying to support the law of attraction, to support that your thoughts create your reality. It's false. False. So what is Paul saying here? What does he actually mean? He means this. In verse 8, focus, think on the things that are right in God's eyes. Think about the things that are right in God's eyes. And as we'll see in verse nine in a moment, get around the people who are doing the same thing. Focus your mind on not just the positive things, but the things that are right in God's eyes. You must choose to do that. If you're going to be spiritually mature, if you're going to heal spiritually, you cannot just pray for it. Okay. That's, that was last week. That's important. You have to take action to say, I will make myself think proactively on the things that are right and good in God's eyes. Because I know if I don't make myself think that, the natural default position of my mind and the, the position of the world will be a gravitational pull downwards into darkness and sin and despair. And so Paul modeled this, right? Paul modeled this for the Philippian church. What he is saying in verse 8, he modeled for them. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 through 11, Paul prayed for the Philippian church. He says, I pray that your love, lovely in there, verse 8, may abound more and more so that you may approve the things that are excellent. Excellent in verse 8. And may be pure, pure in verse 8, and blameless for the day of Christ to the glory of and praise of God. Anything praiseworthy? Paul modeled this for the Philippian church in his prayer in Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 29, Paul modeled this as well. When he says, focus on the things, think on the things that are honorable here in verse 8. He says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 29, honor such men as Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, as you remember, was one of the people that Paul sent to the Philippian church to check in on them and, and uh, was uh, deeply concerned about how they're doing. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul said, hold true, focus on the things that are true. Verse 8, hold true to what you have already attained in Christ. Philippians chapter 3, verse 16. And finally, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul said that he loved he loved the Philippians. Focus on the things that are lovely. So Paul modeled this for the Philippian church, to the Philippian church, and for us. And um, if you go on to verse 9, he says this. Whatever you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, what? Practice these things. Put them into practice. Paul was a model for them. Paul said, I know you. I've been with you. Imitate me. 
as I am following Christ. That's how you grow. That's how you learn in the Christian faith. Um, this was not just to the Philippian church. Paul said, actually, um, earlier to the Philippian church, rather, in Philippians chapter 3, he said, join in imitating me, Philippians, and keep your eye on those who follow my example. The importance of imitation in the Christian faith. He wrote to the Corinthian church, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He wrote to the Thessalonian church, imitate me. I was not idle when I was among you. I worked hard. The writer of Hebrews said, imitate the faith of your leaders. The writer of 1 John, John wrote, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Imitation in the Christian faith is critical. You cannot sit there in front of your screen, listening, watching these videos of preachers that don't even know your name, listening to podcasts, listening to sermons on audio, and think. You cannot just do that. You cannot just sit at home reading your Bible and think, I will do my Christian faith on my own. I will read my Bible on my own. I have my computer. I have the world's knowledge. I can watch where I can be wherever. You cannot just look at your Christian faith that way and think that you're going to mature. It doesn't work that way. Now, is that important? Yeah, I do the same. But you guys, you cannot imitate others if you're not in community with others. You cannot grow spiritually if you're not part of a church. Why? Because the church is not a digital signal. It's not a screen. It's what? Flesh and blood community. How many of you have been to church? How many times where you're like, oh, I'm tired. I don't know if I want to go. Oh, I've got this other stuff to do. You show up, okay? And maybe it wasn't even the sermon, that was the greatest thing about it or whatever, or maybe the worst. Maybe it was a conversation that you happened to have with someone before, during, or after church. And you're like, man, that person had a good word for me. Or that person prayed for me. Or something happened. Or I noticed something that wasn't in my original plan of how this was going to go. And that really ministered to you, right? That happens all the time, every week, in every church across the land. And we start to imitate these things. How many of you, as you've gotten older, you've started imitating your parents? Maybe you're not even thinking about it. Your mannerisms, how you react to things. I know that's happened with me. Just being around people, you start to imitate them. It's true. If you're part of whatever church you're a part of, guess what? You're going to start imitating uh, the people that you're around. For good or bad. And, um, and that's the way it works. So, uh, very important. Who are you imitating in the Christian faith? That's why the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs 13, verse 20, says, He who walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. If you want to be wise, be in community and emulate those who are wise. If you want to suffer harm, be in community with fools. And so uh, he says in verse 9 here at the end, as we're practicing these, these things by the people that were around, let the God of peace, and the God of peace will be with you, which is saying the same thing as the peace of God will be with you. It's essentially the same. Having the peace of God is not just a prayer request. Having the peace of God is not just something that we read in the Bible. Having the peace of God is, is also the result of who we're imitating as they are thinking the things that are right and good in God's 
eyes. Now, at this point, you should be asking yourself the following question. What does this look like in real life? That's great, Pastor Chris. We heard this from the Bible. That makes sense. We understand Paul's situation. We understand the situation of the Philippians. We understand how fallen the world is, or how our minds is. We understand that in theory. What does this look like in real life? What does it look like to think on the things that are right, true, noble, excellent, praiseworthy, honorable, and excellent, and, and so forth and so on? What does it look like, and what does it not look like? Okay. So what I'm going to do is in this last part of the sermon— I'm going to give you multiple examples. I'm just going to go rapid fire through them. Okay. And I want you to put this in two categories in your mind. Category number one and category number two. And both of them are are basically a definition of having God's peace in your life through Christ as you think about the things that are right and good in God's eyes. So category one, we're just going to call this um, on a scale of one to 10, okay, 10 is like great peace of God. And one is kind of like base minimum, lowest common denominator peace of God. I mean, it may maybe even barely qualifies as a peace of God if it does. Okay. So category one that I'm going to give these examples for is that base category, like the lowest possible potential definition of the peace of God in your life that may or may not even be there, but you know, you just, you just feel better. And maybe there's a residual piece of God there. Category number two that I'm going to get to is going to talk about really what I think is the heart and the meat of what Paul is talking about here. Okay. So just so you see a contrast and the difference of it in real life. Okay. So let's talk about category one. What is like the lowest possible definition of God's peace in your life that you can experience when you think about the things that are good, right, true, and noble. All right, let's go on to the next slide, actually. Perfect. All right. Uh, so let me give some examples. All right, this is base minimum, and some of these I'm not even sure of. Okay, I'll give all these examples from my own life. Um, base level examples of God's peace as I think about the things that are right, true, noble. Um, the other day, uh, we, I took my family to a place called Mel's Diner. It's a famous like 1950s diner off Sunset Boulevard out in Hollywood. And um, I, I ordered the roast carved turkey sandwich, and they had fries, and I treated myself to two sodas, and there's a jukebox machine, and we had a great time, and I got that turkey sandwich. It was piled high, hand-carved turkey, not the processed stuff, and I'd eat it. I took that. Oh, man, this is so good. I kept eating it, and I'm still thinking about that now. I was like, what a blessing. This is a beautiful creation of God, man. I mean, I'm thinking about the things that are praiseworthy. This sandwich is praiseworthy. I feel at peace about this, okay? And then I, I, I had gone the other day because I'm into matcha now, okay? And I got some matcha off Amazon, and I've been drinking matcha every day with some ice in there, and I drink matcha, and it makes me happy. And I'm like, oh, this is so good. This, I commend, this is a commendable thing. God's creation, it's beautiful, matcha. And then one of the things I like to do is um, I, I take fro- uh, uh, peanut M&Ms, and I put it in the freezer, and whenever I feel stressed, I go to the freezer, I open it up, and I take a few of those, and I immediately feel better. The chemicals go through my brain, and I feel at peace, because I have my candy now, okay? Um, Darcy made popcorn the same way. I was like, I need more of your popcorn. I felt good. Commendable things. Lovely, okay? When I feel stressed, when I feel down, 
I just get in my car and I drive to Trader Joe's. I drive to Whole Foods. I walk in there. I'm immediately happy. And I go, man, this is great. Nothing bad can ever happen to you at Whole Foods and Trader Joe's. Unless that bad thing is you lose more of your money, then that's bad. Um, just a few more quick ones. And this is, again, all these, these are just examples like this base level. It's not even really the gist of it. But I think we think about these things um, as the peace of God. And I want to show you the difference, okay? So just a few more. Um, I ordered this new camera. There is the Fujifilm Evo Instant Instax camera. It's the kind of camera where you can take pictures digitally, but it transfers it onto instant, like Polaroid pictures, so the picture is more clear. I said, man, that's excellent. That's an excellent thing in this world uh, that God has created. I drive in my car, and I'm stressed. I put on classical music. I'm like, oh, this is peaceful. This is pure. I'm not listening to this junk on the radio or whatever. It's pure, just pure beauty. Um, Golden State beats the uh, Boston Celtics the other day. Honorable, this honorable man, Steph Curry, stands up there as a Christian. And I root for the California teams over the West Coast teams. An honorable thing that happened. And, uh, and so forth and so on, right? Um, now, why do I say all that? I say that because Mike's here and he's from the East Coast. And I want to get every needling in I can while he's here. And uh, now I say that because a lot of times we think of those kinds of experiences, and we say, oh, that's the peace of God, okay? That's what it means to experience peace, because we feel better when we walk into Whole Foods. We feel better when we momentum buy on the internet. We feel better when we, and you know what? Maybe you can make some kind of small roundabout argument that says, well, God has created these good things and he's created things to enjoy. Solomon says, enjoy your life and the food and drink. And so therefore, as I do that, um, I'm entering into the goodness of God's creation. And that brings me a sense of peace at some level. Now, is some of that valid? Maybe at a very small level, yes, it is, okay? However, I don't think that that's the primary gist of what Paul's talking about here. That stuff can matter at a small level, but I think more it's in this second category. And this second category is, I think, is more intentional about what he's trying to get to. So in this second category of God's peace, as we focus on these things, what does that look like? Again, I'll give rapid-fire examples from my own life fairly recently. So what, what does it look like when I try and model to focus on the things that are excellent and praiseworthy? Example, uh, this past Wednesday, we had a midweek service here. It's the first time we've really done that. And we had it here. Um, there's a group of us that showed up. We're going to do another one in July where Matt F. is going to speak at. Uh, August, John Manet is going to speak at. If it goes well, we might just do a monthly, weekly gathering here as a service. Chris, uh, Karen Dang, gave the message this Wednesday, and he gave it on 2 Timothy chapter 1. It was talking about fear in the Christian life. Uh, Pastor Mike has been working with him as well. And um, I listened to Chris's message, and at the end of his message on this past Wednesday, I went up in front of everyone, and I said this to Chris. I said, Chris, and I meant this. I said, Chris, I want you to know that that message that you just gave, um, I've heard a lot of messages in the 27 years I've been a pastor. 
that message that you just gave was, in my opinion, the single best first message a preacher has ever given that I've ever heard. And he did an excellent job. It was biblically accurate. He's passionate. He communicated well. And I don't say that lightly. He did an excellent job. And that was worthy of commendation, not just to him, but in front of the congregation. And so that's an example of focusing on the things that are praiseworthy and that are excellent in the Lord. And not just to think it, but if you can bless someone else, we do that as Christians. That's an example. I think more of what Paul's talking about here. A second example. In my own marriage, I came to, I've come to realize um, that if I wanted an honorable marriage, that there were aspects of how I was interacting with Lorraine that were not exactly as honorable as they should have been. Not in a dis- pastoral disqualifying way, um, but, in, um, but in a sense that I, I realized this about myself. I realized that um, in my drive to want everything to improve, in my drive to want to be a strong Christian leader, in my drive to wanting to see problems fixed, what was happening to me was I was becoming a demanding person at times, at times. I was becoming too opinionated about things in our marriage. I was really getting the sense, I know it's hard to believe, right? Um, it, I, I was getting the sense that I had to um, always show that I was right. I had to have an opinion on everything. I had to uh, has, have a sense that uh, we have to do things the best way possible in this marriage. And if, if we don't, we need to stop, evaluate, talk about where we went wrong so that it doesn't happen again, right? And I think what I realized was that uh, there was a part of that that was not honorable in my marriage. In fact, I had become a disagreeable person at times. And so one of the things I've been trying to focus on more in my own marriage is to how to be a more agreeable person. Being a more agreeable person in a marriage is very important because there are a hundred opportunities every week to pick battles, right? And they're just not worth it. It's dumb. Um, and so are you an agreeable person in your marriage or do we have to prove that we're right? Do, we have, do, we, do I have to have an opinion on everything that goes on in the house? And do I have to express that? And do I have to hold that? No, I don't, right? And so um, I've been trying to have a more honorable marriage by being more agreeable in, in that. And I think that's one of the things that Paul's talking about, that the peace of God comes there. A um, uh, few more. Um, I was in a situation for a long time, I'm not going to talk about it, for about seven years, in a situation that when he, the Paul says, um, whatever is just, think about these things. I was in an unjust situation for about seven years, had nothing to do with my own family, had nothing to do with this church, went on for a long time, seven years. Um, and about three weeks ago, I finally got out of that situation after seven years. It was the hardest seven years of my life. And so I realized that part of focusing on what is just means to get away from unjust situations. And, um, you know, I don't listen to him, but I, I remember um, Drake, uh, Drake just dropped this like uh, album this week. I just saw it. I didn't listen to it, but I love the title. His new album is called um, Honestly. Never mind. And I was like, that's a great title because that's how I look at this unjust situation. I'm just like, you know what? Honestly, never mind. Okay. Your, this, that situation is over here. I'm going over here. Honestly, never mind anymore. I'm going over here. And to focus on what is just, sometimes you have to get a, away from an unjust situation. 
Um, and now coming over here to things that are righteous and just, I love spending time with my family. I love spending time with my kids. I feel like they oftentimes bring out the best in me, and they're a sanctifying influence from the Lord. Um, what is commendable? Commendable. Commending things. I, um, he, he's here, or maybe he's not. I think he, 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 is, he was here. But um, David Yee is someone I really like in this church. Um, I think uh, there are certain people that you just connect with immediately. And I think David's one of them. I think Earl, for me, is another. Uh, Mike is another, where there's an aspect of who they are where you just click like that, right? And um, last week we went out to lunch after downtown LA, and we were at Cafe Gratitude, a whole group of us. And, you know, we're just talking, and we started getting into this conversation about ice cream. And there are four things about food I have opinions on. I'm pretty much of a snob on, and that's ice cream, cookies, bread, and pasta. And I, and we t- I started talking about uh, uh, concha, creamery, and Torrance, how great it was. And I just had to say, you know what? Um, no, actually, Scoops is way better. And we started getting into this conversation with one another that I felt like, you know, and I love David. I love him. And so I figured, you know, uh, I love him so much, he's earned the right to be wrong about that. And so, <laughs> no, but I'm just kidding. But then, so we got into that, and then, um, but it was all fun and games. But I thought, you know what, that wasn't the most commendable conversation. And so after the service on Wednesday, we, a bunch of us went out to Blaze Pizza. And it, I didn't plan this. It just happened this way. I ended up sitting across this, the table from him. We had a really good conversation. I was really commending him of um, the good things that God is doing in his life, encouraging him to serve and and so I felt that was a much more commendable conversation for the things that are going on in his life. Um, Earl and Nicole, uh, one of the messages I've given them repeatedly over the past month has been this. You're going to be there. you got a large wedding, 400 people. Um, these last two weeks, especially the week before, are going to be really stressful. There's so many details, so many un- unpredictable variables that will come your way with relatives or planning, and it'll cause stress in you. And then you'll get to your wedding day, and you are so close to it because you've planned everything. You'll know exactly how things should go. And a lot of times they don't go that way. But you know what? I said to them, um, it won't matter. You'll know, but many people won't know. And even if they do notice things that go wrong, nobody cares. The only thing they care about is what? That you show up to the wedding. And if you show up, everyone's fine. Just focus on the things that are lovely. Your love for one another. Your love for God. Um, just the love that will happen that day. Earl went up there yesterday after at the end, he said, this has been the single best day of my entire life, you know? And so getting people to focus on those things, I think are very important. And finally, I think for me, um, focusing on the things that are right in God's eyes has to do with focusing on Christ. Okay. I, I, I think about Christ, how many times I've needed his forgiveness how much grace uh, he has given to me, how patient he has been with me all of these years. Um, and I realize, you know, there are many things, you know, going back to Mike's message last week about anxiety, one of the great lines that he gave last week was, don't try and control the things that are God's dominion. When we try and control the things that are only God's in control of, we bring anxiety to our situation. Anxiety is not just forced upon it, us. We bring anxiety to our situation. And when we try and control the things of God's dominion. And I, 
I was thinking about this. I go, you know, I need to, I need to remember with the Lord. Because when I think about the things that are right in God's eyes, and I proactively think that, I have a little less time to focus on the things that make me anxious. And I also remember that the Lord has a way of working things out. And I want you to remember that today. Whatever is making you anxious, whatever uh, negativity is being allowed into your life, whatever the world around you, uh, the chaos of it is uh, taking its toll on you, remember, when you focus on the Lord, you can have peace because the Lord has a way of working things out. He has a thousand different ways that he can work a terrible situation and bring good out of it. And that's one of the great things about being a Christian for you and I. Okay, And so that's why we think on the things of the Lord, because he will bring us peace when we do. Let's pray together. Father, as we close our time, I pray that you would bring to mind the areas that we need to focus on the things that are right and good in the Lord. Pray that we would make the commitment to be around people, not perfect people, but people who are striving to win the prize of the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus to think about the things of God, to put that into practice, to be a peaceful people, Lord, to have the peace of God in our hearts, to be peacemakers out of that. Help us, Lord, to be a people who rise above the negativity and the fallenness of the world, even our own minds, that we may not have as much time for anxiousness when we think about the goodness of God, knowing that uh, we can have peace, that you have a way of working things out in the end for those that you love. And some of us need to hear that. Help us to believe. Help us to believe that you have a way of working things out for those that love you and follow you. And, uh, and that we want to be those people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.